Hello, I'm Lindsay Stewart, and I'd love to extend you a really warm welcome to the CFA UK In Conversation podcast. This is the show for investment professionals focusing on a whole manner of topics and interesting insights that are affecting the profession today. Now, in this episode, we're going to talk about what we, those of us who are or have been in the investment industry, can collectively do to empower young people to kickstart their investment management career. And today, I'm delighted to be joined by Rachel Green, who is a Director of Institutional Sales at Nuveen. But more importantly for today, she's also the founder of the Skills Workshop. Hello, Rachel. Pleasure to have you here. Hi, Lindsay. Pleasure to be here. Great. So um, let's get into it. Um, Just to give some background, we've seen access to financial education, improved financial literacy and enabling of social capital are uh, the underlying core values of the skills workshop that you've uh, that you've launched. Um, It's an initiative that you launched, I think, in June of this year, and its aim was to help equip future talent with the insight, knowledge, and skills needed for success. So as part of the research that we did in preparation to record this episode, we unearthed some findings from KPMG that they published in 2019 that showed that 41% of financial services employees had parents that worked in the same sector. That's as against a national average of 12% for other sectors. So it's almost as though two in five financial services employees at present pretty much inherited their position. Any thoughts you have on that, Rachel? Uh, it all makes sense. That's all I will say right now. <laughs> <laughs> but what we're observing is that to change that status quo, it requires a proactive approach. And now halfway through the volunteer-driven program that you've set up, we're just checking in with you to see how it's progressing. So tell us about how that's going. Yes, it's going pretty well, actually. Um, you know, the, the skills workshop was really uh, focused on three things, as you uh, as you mentioned. You know, it's it's um, education and awareness of the industry. A lot of people don't actually know that the asset management industry actually exists. Um, the second one is um, increasing financial literacy, and the third one is increasing access to social capital. Right, all of these things brought together have really been um, the fundamental core sort of values of the skills workshop. And as you say, how we're halfway into the process, actually halfway into the process, we have been absolutely astonished by the sheer volume of um, registrations that we've had and the number of people who wanted to, who've wanted to get involved in the sessions um, and actually the feedback that we've been getting so far. So it's been really positive. Really, really fantastic to hear. And, and just for our listeners, I'm just going to remind everybody that you can actually access the skills workshop at diversityproject.com forward slash the skills workshop. Um, so just going back to the conversation, um, what exactly is the connection we're making here between improving skills and opening up the profession? It's pretty simple, to be honest. I think, um, you know, if we just kind of cast our mind back and I'll just give you a bit of background into how this started. So if you just cast your mind back to last year where we had, um, you know, George Floyd and we had the Black Lives Matter movement um, and we found a lot of initiatives that were kind of popping up um, to provide young people with access to opportunities, access to actual jobs. Right. Um But what we also saw is we saw that there was a mismatch between expectations of the employers where they said, hey, you know, we really want to help these students. We want to help these young people. We want to give them opportunity, access to opportunities, but they don't really know what we do. (laughs) They can't articulate their motivation for joining the firm. They can't articulate their motivation for joining that particular career path or that discipline. Um, And on the other side, on the um, on the student side, they were saying, hey, you know, I don't really know what this firm does. I don't know. um, 
um, what we do as an industry. I've had a really bad experience because I wasn't very prepared. And therefore, I don't really think the industry is for me, just purely based on that one experience. And, you know, this is, again, this mismatch between this expectation of organizations and employers and the um, experience of the students. So the Skills Workshop was really created to sort of bridge that gap, really, between, between those two and to give students a, a real fighting chance at being successful um, at applications. Yeah, it's really good to hear you touch on those points, just that link between improving skills and building confidence so that people can kind of go into these opportunities with the confidence that they can come out with the result they want. So what do you see are the benefits to the profession and to individuals of creating that more diverse pipeline in the industry that we all want to see? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty simple, right? I think as an industry, we, we've started talking a lot about diversity of thought. Um, you know, if I go back to my own experience, I grew up on a farm, I grew up in the Caribbean on a really tiny island. Um, I grew up in a different country, you know, in a different culture. And I came to the UK when I was 17, not really being socialized or educated in the UK. You know, I had to very quickly understand the societal norms, all of the unspoken codes, and having to navigate a world that I was very unfamiliar with, right? Um, and if you think about what it takes in that process, if you think about the strengths and the skill set that you build by getting out of that safety net and navigating difference, I think that's truly incredible. But at work, um, and just purely from a work perspective, you know, my own experience tells me how incredibly important diversity of thought is. Um, and, I, and I believe as an industry, we're slowly waking up to that. I've always worked in teams where I approach things um, very differently because I think differently, right? And it's really funny because on one hand, it's been very refreshing and it's some, somewhat revolutionary actually, but to me, on the other hand, it's, it's actually very obvious. Um, but a huge part of that success comes down to do things. You know, we've already touched on it. I think very differently. I'm not constrained by herd mentality that really plagues our industry. Um, and the second thing is I'm not limited by any fear, right? And, uh, you know, this is a relatively new discovery for me, I think, because um, it's, it's because I think differently that I'm aware that there's a chance that my perspective won't really be appreciated or understood or sometimes even acknowledged, right? And I think it takes a lot of courage to blend um, to not to blend into the herd mentality and the, and have conviction in that process. Um, but to just add a little bit more context there, you know, I think as an industry, we sometimes forget that we work on behalf of millions and millions of people around the world every day. You know, the money that we manage is on behalf of the public. And I think as an industry, group think it's really dangerous because if you can't plan for the, for a variety of scenarios, um, because you just don't see them, that's really dangerous. Um, you know, the world is changing at such a fast pace. And as an industry, we want to be able to adapt and evolve and to be relevant in years to come. And without that diversity of thought, I think it's a real um, risk that will actually be left behind as an industry. Yeah, thanks, Rachel. I think you made some really important points there. Firstly, that it's not just about having that visual diversity, not just having people who look different or express different behaviors, but about having that real difference of thought that will allow us to kind of be flexible and make better decisions. And also the fact that the financial services industry serves everybody, that it does need to kind of represent within itself the cultures that it serves. So two, two really, really important points you've made there. So to get into the detail just a little bit, and I've had the pleasure of attending a few of these, um, these sessions that the Skills Workshop has put on. How about you tell our audience how these workshops are structured? 
<laughs> sure. What I will say is, first of all, this is a disclaimer. There's been a long time since I went to university <laughs> or had to go through a graduate application process. So we've really had to rely on a number of university students to help with the input and the content and the curriculum over a number of months. Um, we've had to take into consideration you know, where students were thinking at the time, whether it was exam season or half term, for example. Also compare the skills workshop and the curriculum that we've put together with what's out there in the market right now and where the gaps are. Uh, it was an incredibly long and intense process. And at the end, we came up with a program of 55 workshops, really focused on getting students ready for application season. So we're working with 60 partners, um, including the CFA UK, which I'm really pleased um, to share, um, all volunteering their time over the last six months. So it's uh, over six months period. So it's June to November of this year. Each, each workshop is between 60 and 90 minutes long, split equally into content and opportunities for live Q&A as well. Um, so there were a few sessions in June and July where the CFA have helped us to provide context and awareness um, and participate in financial literacy sessions. So the, really the first two sort of pillars of the, of the skills workshop have really been satisfied in those two sessions, in those two months. August, we really saw the recruiters come to the fore to help students with application prep, CV writing, planning, and CV clinics now. And in September and October, we're hosting 41 different firms at our virtual career space. So there are a lot of things going on in the background, Lindsay. <laughs> I had not appreciated the sheer scale of what was going on there. I didn't realize there was 55 workshops happening. That That's a whole education in itself. So, so well done for, for managing all of that. It's so <laughs> tell us who this is open to and what the level of interest has been so far in, the, in these sessions. So the, the, the workshops are actually open to absolutely everyone. So um, what I do say is, um, you know, if you are curious about the investment industry and you don't know what it is, join us. You know, if you've never heard about the investment industry and you're not sure about career options, join us. You know, ultimately, you've got nothing to lose. Right. Um, you know, on the other hand, as well, if you know about the industry, but you're only interested in access to jobs and getting more insight from firms and, you know, join us. But ultimately, there is something in there for everyone. I think the main thing to note, though, is that the, it's just the breadth of the students that we've managed to capture. So the trend so far has been um, that the data or the data suggests rather that we have seen students between the ages of 16 and sort of 22, so just finished university. Um, but the main thing for us, I guess, is that we operate a system of trust, right? So we've got these 55 workshops. We don't expect people to join every single session. They can dip in, they can dip out based on their level of knowledge and their preference. Um, but I'll go back to my the mantra that I live by. You know, you don't know what you don't know. And you might be pleasantly surprised on joining. Um, just keep an open mind. Fantastic advice there, Rachel. So tell us if anything has surprised you about this um, workshop program in terms of the outcomes or the impacts that you weren't expecting or even anything that you've heard from the, the attendees that you, you weren't expecting. Yeah, you know, this is what I absolutely love about doing things like this, right? We always knew that the program was going to be ambitious. You know, none of us have paid. We are all volunteers. And there are hundreds and hundreds of volunteers who are all working behind the scenes on these 55 workshops. And um, I guess I was... I was surprised by two things. So the first one is really the sheer scale. So throughout the program, I've already mentioned, I think I mentioned this, but um, we've welcomed over 6,000 people from around the world, 
all wanting to know what we do and get better clarity on the industry. And I think that's absolutely brilliant, right? And the second thing is actually, is how selfless I think a lot of the volunteers have been. Um, a lot of us, are, as I said, we're volunteering our time alongside our extremely busy jobs, our busy lives. Uh, some people go, obviously go to school. Um, and after every session, we probably have about 10 or you know 10 to 15 people saying hey you know I've seen this I think this is a great idea how can I get involved um, you know I'd like to help but I think um, you know it's clear that programs like this really do have an impact and what they do is that they instill hope right you know carving out this pathway where potentially they might not have been one before and we've had so many people who have been so genuinely excited about joining the industry just after one session um, because they can see people who can they relate to and they actually realize that the industry is a viable option for them where options didn't exist before. So I think that's been really brilliant. Yeah, that truly is phenomenal. 6,000 attendees and, and no doubt growing. That's that's truly amazing. And yes, yeah, so just to second that, a really, really big um, thank you to all of the people who have, have volunteered for, for those sessions. I know it's not easy to squeeze that kind of thing in alongside the day job, but um, giving hope to people, Rachel, as you say, is, is very important. We all need some of that right now in these times, don't we? Indeed. So just moving on, what do you hope will be the legacy of this program, both in the short term and the long term? I'm laughing right now because legacy is something that I think about often, uh, you know, just from a personal capacity. I think about as an you know, as an individual, I am incredibly purpose driven. And, you know, I always think about what sort of impact I want to leave on the world um, from a skills workshop perspective in the short term. Um, the legacy that I'm thinking about is, you know, always wanting to give young people access to opportunities and choice, right? And access to options and choice as well. Um, I want young people to know that despite knowing absolutely nothing about this industry, not, not what we do, um, whether it's a career option for them, um, I want them to know that this is a learning process. And once they've gone through that process, that they're welcome and they've had a chance um, at a successful career, despite whatever preconceptions or misconceptions they might have, have had. Um, I think in the long term, I see the Skills Workshop as a real funnel, actually, for talent. You know, as I said earlier, we've never really been um, an initiative that um, was set up to offer people jobs, right? Um, but what we want to do is we want to be, we want to get people in a position to be successful when they do apply for these roles. Um, and as I, I mentioned earlier, that there are a lot of initiatives that help to connect young people with employment opportunities. And we really want to bridge that gap between um, expectation and experience. So we want to level the playing field um, ultimately over time. So tell us what you have lined up for, for the next few months. We're at the uh, start of, of the autumn and everyone's back to school. So it's a really good time to be thinking about what skills you want to take on board. So, so what's in the pipeline? Oh, goodness. We have our most ambitious two months yet. We have our virtual careers fairs that we are actually planning for in the background right now. So I mentioned that there are 60 different partners, um, of which 41 are being focused on over September and October. So these are organizations who all um, participate within the industry. There are asset managers, asset owners, 
consultants, independent trustee firms. Um, I'm just thinking if I've left anybody out, but apologies if I have. Uh, but essentially what we're trying to do is we're giving people as much insight as possible. So each firm is being featured every single day of the month in September and October. There are 41 different sessions. And the idea is that students can actually join. Um, they find out about these firms. They find out about their application process um, and they get as much insight as possible so that they can be successful basically when they go into when they when they go into um, apply for their for the programs internship programs graduate programs apprenticeships work experience programs that's the that's the idea and that's the intention so that's September and October and then in November we finally we finish off the program by hosting two competency question sessions one focused on sales and the other one focused on portfolio management so essentially we've got two different areas two different disciplines where we're helping students students to give them ideas of how they can better present themselves, I guess, in a, in, in a competency sort of scenario. We've got 43 sessions coming up over the next three months, and it's going to be hectic is probably <laughs> the best way that I can put it. <laughs> now, fantastic to hear, Rachel. Are there any particular favorites that you've had so far in terms of the sessions that you've run to date? Personally, I haven't had any favorites. I think what I have enjoyed seeing actually is the, the volunteers coming together and just imparting their knowledge um, on the students. So I've been really, really surprised and really impressed by that. But um, to say that I've had a, a favorite session so far, I haven't. I've learned so much uh, from these sessions. I think they've been fantastic. But then I guess I have to say that, right? <laughs> you have to, but it doesn't make it any less true. No. So, so no favorites, very diplomatic. It's yeah. a good skill. <laughs> So you mentioned that there are a lot of firms that have got involved in this program, and I'm sure we're all very grateful to them for their participation. But how do you think the profession can support um, addressing the underrepresentation of diverse candidates at an individual level or at firm level? So, Lindsay, what I will say is that there is no one silver bullet that will sort of fix this issue, right? This is an incredibly complex issue, which plagues not just our industry, but many other industries as well, to be honest. And, you know, here you're really challenging the status quo, right? You're challenging how things have been done for a very long time. Um, but you're also challenging human, the human beings' um, very basic and natural instinct of self-preservation. Um, and there are a lot of factors that actually play into that, right? So if you think about things like um, organizational culture, you know, is the culture sufficiently open enough to be able to challenge without fear? You know, um, culture is one of those really intangible things that determine how organizations do things, regardless of what they say they're going to do. And um, the second thing that I'll probably say is about access to talent. Um, you know, where do organizations recruit from? You know, do they choose particular universities or different career disciplines? Um, you know, simple things that we, I think we take for granted, like incentive programs, you know, are we incentivizing our colleagues to hire people who think like them, you know, to hire their friends? Um, also think about the interview process, I guess, um, you know, whether it's skills-based or, you know, whether it's based on academic achievements or grades, I think we need to be really open about the fact that the vast majority of work that we do within our industry actually can be learned. But what's really important is that intellectual curiosity and that drive and that set of skill set um, that you need to be successful in, in a career. Um, so I've touched on three things. I guess 
the the main one um, that I really wanted to touch on is um, around reward recognition and retention, because as much as the skills workshop really focuses on entry level talent, you know, there is a lot that has to be done as we go up the chain, I guess, of experience. Right. Um, and retention in particular, when especially when you're focusing on experience hires, there's a, a real subtle link between reward retention and recognition as well. And this doesn't just mean pay, you know, by the way, I think as an organization, um, you're really looking at or are you looking at how are you benchmarked against the industry? Has an exercise been done to understand disparities in salaries across competitors, across roles? And, you know, what does that data actually look like within your organization? And, and how do you actually act on that if there is any discrepancy as well? I think if I think back um, you know, gender pay gap reporting obviously is mandatory. Ethnicity pay gap reporting isn't yet, um, but I suspect that that will feature very heavily as we go into next year, to be honest. Um, there are a large number of asset managers right now who have started to share their data. And what I will say is that it makes for very interesting reading. Very good, very good. No, great to hear your thoughts on that. And it's, it's interesting to hear that point you make on um, pay gap reporting as well, because um, even though it isn't necessarily mandatory to do all of it, these organizations are waking up to the idea that it's what society expects, so they'd better provide something. So a really, really interesting to have that point. Going to switch tack slightly and think you've kind of, you've launched this program um, remotely, I assume out of necessity as as so many things these these days are. Um, how do you think that's affected the shape of the program and how, how things have gone? And do you think it's better or worse for it? I think it's, it is genuinely better. I was talking to one of the volunteers um, last on, on the weekend because I do work weekends, sadly. Um, and we were we were talking about just the, the shared diversity of the students themselves, that they have come from various different countries, right? Countries across the world. It's just absolutely amazing to see. And it's really the power of the virtual environment that we're working right now, but also the power of social media, you know? Um, I, think, I think it's been a great thing. I think um, the fact that we could reach people in Uruguay and Peru and across Africa and across Asia, I think that's just absolutely amazing. You know, again, this whole thing is uh, around providing people with options and providing people with choice, right? Um, and that's not limited by country or by continent um, or by background. Um, so I think it's a great thing. I'm completely supportive of the virtual environment. <laughs> No, absolutely very true. It's, it's good to see the, the international reach that um, the programs managed to manage to gain, really. So I guess as a last question, are you hopeful for the future on everything that we're trying to achieve in terms of diversity and improving people's skills and access to the profession? I am. You know, I am a natural cynic. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> that helps in this sector, doesn't it? I am, I am. But I'm also a pragmatist and, you know, I am a practical implementer. That's what my husband calls me. Um, but, you know, for me, it was this was all about um, realizing where the gaps were, realizing where the issues were and trying to find a solution for those gaps. And, and because that exists and because I'm able to put in place initiatives and bring people together and mobilize people together to, to make this happen, I am absolutely really, really excited about the future. Um, you know, I think... Ultimately, as an industry, we are not there yet, right? I think we, <laughs> I think we have a long way to go. But the fact is, this is on the radar. People are talking about it. Um, and the great thing is that we are also not waiting on any particular organization or any particular person or um, or any particular. 
um, some, you know, and we were not waiting on anyone to, to, to come up with ideas. I think what's, what's great right now is that people are mobilized to be able to come up with their own ideas and actually implement them at scale. So, so yeah, I am, I am incredibly excited about the future and hopefully the skills workshop will have, we'll, we'll, we'll play, even if it's a small part, we'll play a part in ensuring that the industry has more diverse um, sort of employee base than it has now. Oh, fantastic. I'm sure it's made an enormous difference already. I look forward to seeing how it goes in the future. Wish you all the best with it. Rachel, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us here at CFA UK. And also thanks to everybody in the audience for listening. Just going to give you a quick reminder, you can sign up to the Skills Workshop or listen to past sessions at diversityproject.com forward slash the Skills Workshop. Remember to look out for our next episode of the In Conversation podcast, uh, the usual CFA UK email or CFA UK social media channels will let you know when our next episode is available. You can also subscribe so that you don't miss an episode through CFA UK's SoundCloud channel or via Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this now. You can find out more by visiting www.cfauk.org forward slash podcast. Thank you all for listening. <laughs>